friends, welcome back to another episode of Perspectives by Women in Securities Finance. This podcast series furthers our mission to support our community as we seek to promote the advancement of women in the securities finance marketplace. We hope you leave today with a broader perspective or ideas about ways to further your network and career. Or perhaps a deeper education on important business changes in our marketplace. Now let's get into the episode. Hello, my name is Elena Kim Benfield. I'm an assistant general counsel at Vanguard and a co-founder of Women in Securities Finance. I'd like to introduce you to Stephanie Movahead, an executive coach. Stephanie, Mm -hmm. tell us about yourself. Thank you, Elena. So I'm Stephanie Movahead. I am an executive and leadership coach. I spent the first part of my career building teams, frameworks, products, Google, and a bunch of other tech companies. But now I get to spend my days building up leaders. I love working with clients to help them transform. And I get to do that as part of the coaching team at Christel, which is a boutique coaching firm where we work on the intersection of leadership, well-being, and diversity, equity, and inclusion issues. Stephanie, thank you so much for your time. I met you at a conference and was so impressed by what you had to share that it's very special. We can share it with our Women in Securities Finance Network. So to start off, can you please share with us your journey from being one of the early employees of Google to now being an executive coach? Yeah. And thank you so much, Elena. It was a pleasure meeting you at that conference. And I met so many amazing women there. So I'm really honored and happy to be here today, sharing a little bit of my story and some of what I teach my clients here on your podcast. So my story started like many of us. I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do when I was coming out of college. And I actually thought I was going to be a teacher. And I spent actually the very first chapter of my career teaching English and Spanish in a few different countries. I was really passionate about helping people transform their lives through learning foreign languages. That had been very transformative for me. And so I wanted to share that experience with other people. So I did that for a few years. And then after that, I was ready to move back to the United States after being in a few different countries. And my family had actually relocated to the Bay Area. So I thought maybe I would work for a nonprofit or find something related to women's education in developing countries. But those types of organizations don't always hire new college grads. So I had applied for one for-profit job and that's what I got. And that was at Google. And at the time, Google was digitizing all the books in the world. And so as I just revealed before we started recording, I love books. I'm a huge reader and I just love the idea of digitizing all the books in the world and putting those online. So I decided to join and be a part of that project. And while I was there, I started to realize that Maybe I didn't have to be a teacher in order to have the type of transformative impact that I wanted to have on the world. Maybe I could do it in a business environment. So I spent four years at Google working on the Google Books project, and then I decided to go to business school because I felt like I could have had an even bigger impact if I had more business skills and training. So I went to business school and I became a management consultant. I had seen that within Google, former management consultants had really great ability to do impactful work. I wanted to do that. So I ended up joining the Boston Consulting Group and spending a few years there before transitioning back into tech and doing many different functions. I did corporate development and strategy. I did some product work. I did go-to-market work with customers. But all along, I sort of had this sense that none of these things were really my true calling. And along the way, one of the companies that I worked for was LinkedIn. And when I was at LinkedIn, we started talking about 
maybe bundling some coaching with some software that we were developing for job seekers. And at an inflection point of seeking a new job is a really common entry point to coaching for many people. It's oftentimes the first time when people pick their head up and say, hey, I might benefit from a coach. So through working on that project, I had to learn about all of the schools and all of the certification organizations that were training and certifying coaches. And I did a webinar from one of the programs that had come up most frequently in my research. And I thought, wow, this is interesting. So I ended up from that webinar doing the introductory course at that coach training school and just falling in love and realizing if I could do anything, that's how I would want to spend my time through the trainings and the practicums and the homework. So I ended up going all the way through their training and certification program in 2019. And I started coaching on the side just because, again, it was what I would do if I could do anything. And eventually it got to the point where I couldn't keep my full-time job and continue to coach on the side. And, you know, I chose to do what I was most passionate about, which is coaching. So I've been working as a coach now full-time for a little over two years. What are some of the common themes you've experienced as a coach? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you a little bit about the type of coaching that I do, because one thing I'll emphasize is that there's all different types of coaching. And for me, I started working with people on their careers and job search, and I moved on to doing now what I would refer to as leadership coaching. So leadership coaching is oftentimes described as executive coaching, but it might be for people who are not yet executives. So rising executives, people who are people managers, people who need support in the workforce, but they might not be C-level just yet. So that's really my sweet spot. I work with rising leaders as a leadership coach. And for that reason, a lot of the themes that I tend to see are for people who are elevating and raising up their leadership. And so I would say a really common theme that I see is people not adapting their leadership style to the challenge at hand as they grow in their career. I often say to my clients, what got you here won't get you there. And so the idea is sometimes the things that have made us really successful early on in our career, we actually have to unlearn if we want to rise to the next level. It's not intuitive, right? People think, oh, well, if I'm more senior, I should just do the same things more quickly, more efficiently. But actually, we have to start doing things differently. So things that people often skip out on or don't realize they need to do, a big one is delegating. So we can't do everything. And as we rise in our careers, we need to learn to delegate. Another one is getting more comfortable, giving constructive feedback. At the beginning of our careers, I think we're really afraid to tell people if we disagree. But actually, as a leader, we need to learn to do that. And then the final one is, like everyone in life, leaders need to develop boundaries. We need to learn when to say no, because if we always say yes, we won't have the time to do the impactful strategic projects, which will really, truly help our companies. Are there specific issues that you see impacting women differently than men in the workforce? Yeah, it's a great question. And I do a lot of work with female leaders. I'm hesitant to say that these types of issues only impact women because I think a lot of men might also feel them. But a few themes that I see with the women that I work with, a big one is perfectionism. So really feeling like unless we are perfect, we can't raise our hands for a project, promotion, or stretch assignment. And I really like to work with clients to let that go. Another one is people-pleasing. I think a lot of the women that I have coached, and again, this is not a blanket statement. Some women are not this way, but tend to be really relationship-oriented and helping 
others is very important to them. It can often be a strong value. And so that might be where we have some of the difficulty saying no, some of the difficulty with the constructive feedback that I mentioned in my previous answer. So those are two that I think might be common. Saying no constructively Mm -hmm. and people pleasing, those seem to be bigger challenges for women than men. Mm-hmm. Probably because there are deep-rooted societal expectations on what might be preferred. Mm-hmm. So what are some tips that you've shared with your clients about how to say no in a constructive way? So I think, first of all, that's absolutely correct that you call that out. And I think all of us need to learn to say no to grow in our leadership. But for some people, their societal constructs, which can make that more difficult, it can make their no be received differently. So I think that's definitely real and something that I wish was not the case, but we oftentimes have to overcome. That said, I do want us to do everything that's within our power and our sphere of influence to set ourselves forward. And so some of the things that I work with my clients on around saying no, one is just being prepared. So it's really and you know we can talk more about this, but when you have to have a difficult conversation that might result in you setting a boundary, really doing some thinking up front in terms of what would be the ideal outcome for me in this situation? What would 100% look like for me in this situation? What would 50% of my goal look like in this situation? Just so we're prepared. So I think that's one. And then the other one is delegation. So maybe you are not able to take something on, but is there a suggestion? Is there something else that you can offer in terms of someone on your team who might be able to do such and such thing? So that's the other one. And then I think the last one is also just being really clear because oftentimes we might not want to firmly say no because that's hard for us. So we say something like, not at this time, or I'm really busy right now. And that's actually not a no. So I think the more clear we can be about what we do and don't want to take on, the better. Let's go back to managing difficult conversations. That is something that's hard for everyone. It aligns with getting constructive feedback, but also it impacts every relationship, whether it's up, down, sideways. What are some tips that you can share with our community on how to have those difficult conversations? Yes, definitely. And I know when you and I met, I had actually just presented on this topic and I'm happy to share the framework that we went over at that conference because I think it's really helpful to have frameworks. And going back to your previous question about how to prepare, having a framework is actually the first step, right? Because you're already going into a difficult conversation. If you have a framework that you can use, that's the first step to making it really easy and seamless to prepare. And a framework that I really liked, which was developed by the team over at Christel. Christel is a leadership coaching firm where I coach, and they're really great with thought leadership and developing frameworks. So the framework that we use at Christel is called DIAL, D-I-A-L. And I'm happy to sort of spell it out and share it so maybe your listeners can write it down. So the first part of the dial framework, the D, there's a few things that you need to do upfront. All of this actually should be done upfront before you go into the difficult conversation. So we start with the D. And when it comes to D, the first thing to do is be discerning. Think about the power dynamics in the conversation. Think about whether or not the person that you're talking to will be defensive. And then also think about, do I really want to say this? Is this the right time to say this? Will I regret not saying it? So the first thing is with the D, be discerning. Then the next one is be direct. 
So if you have to have this difficult conversation, it's important to be direct, to not sidestep, to not fall into gossiping and talking to someone else who's a peer. Go directly to the person, even if they might be more powerful than you, rather than triangulating. The next D is do it soon. So what we've seen is that the longer we delay having these difficult conversations, the worse it gets. So we really recommend doing it soon. Take a minute maybe or 24 hours to be calm, to make sure that your emotions are not overpowering your logic, but do it soon. And then the last thing we recommend is think of a way to disarm. So disarming is a way to balance your directness when you're going into a difficult conversation so that the person that you're speaking to knows that you're about to have a difficult conversation. So some examples of that might be saying something like, this is difficult to say, but I need to say it to you, or I've been wanting to have this conversation for a long time, not exactly sure how to bring this up. Just say something to disarm your audience so they know what's about to happen. So that's the D. Then we go into the I. The I stands for identify. So when it comes to identifying, we want you to identify what the issue is. What is it that you want to talk about? Think about common ground. So where do you and the person you're about to talk to agree? And then finally, identify your goal. What would it look like if the conversation was successful? Then we go into assert. So this is actually the most important part of the framework. And what you need to do is assert what it is that is happening and make an ask. And asserting generally looks like saying something like, when you X, Y, Z, what happens is A, B, C, and the impact of that is one, two, three, right? So it's what you're doing, what the impact of it is, and then you make the ask. I would prefer that you do this other thing. And then finally, the L in the formula stands for listening. So after you make your assertive ask, you need to then sit back, pause, and listen to what the other person has to say. That can be difficult. Oftentimes we say something difficult and we want to run away because we're fearful of what comes up, or we know that they might be defensive, but we need to stand our ground and listen. This is amazing. This framework is something that will be helpful to all of our listeners in managing not only their personal relationships, but also obviously their career conversations. What are some ways in which you've seen this framework go well? And maybe if it doesn't go well, as expected, how does one recover? Yeah. So I would say the listening part is really critical because as I said, I think for many of us, these conversations feel vulnerable. It feels sometimes contentious. And so it's tempting to almost hang up the phone after we make our ask, right? It's the vulnerability hangover. Oh, I said too much, right? That's what makes the listening so important because it's a dialogue. And so we need to absorb from the other person. And so what I think when I've seen this go well, it's basically making the ask, standing firm and saying, what comes up for you, right? What do you think about what I just said? And then what might often happen is defensiveness on the part of the person who received the ask. Defensiveness might look like excuses. It might look like stonewalling saying, well, of course it had to be that way because of X, Y, and Z. And so what I recommend is really listening, repeating back. So being listened to is a really powerful way to have defensiveness diffused. So someone might say, you know, of course it had to be that way. I was X, Y, and Z. And you repeat back, oh, I'm hearing that, you know, you felt your hands were tied. 
this was a difficult time for you. And because of X, Y, and Z, you repeat back what they said, and then you make your ask again. And then they might have a different excuse that time. Oh, I'm hearing that, you know, this and this, and I'm understanding that you felt this way. You make your ask again. So it's basically like you inch forward with each time the person is defensive, you continue to calmly state your ask. And it might not be resolved in one conversation. You might have to follow up in your next one-on-one, bring it up again. But what's most important is to listen, but to also stand firm. Love it. Last question, Stephanie. Do you have any recommendations once you've stood firm and the change doesn't occur and it's something Mm -hmm. that's important for our members, whatever it may Mm be, do you have any tips on what they should be thinking in terms of next steps? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I do think that oftentimes these conversations might require several iterations. So I would say look for progress, look for a way to going back to what success looks like. Maybe you're not going to get 100%, but if you can get 10%, 15%, and to continue to inch forward, I think that's one tip I would suggest. However, there are some times where we might be in a situation where we truly feel like there is not progress. We are at a standstill. And there, I always, 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 and this might be actually another whole interview that we could do, but I always encourage people to understand that they have choice. So they might be looking at the situation and they might say, oh, I feel so stuck. But really they have choice. They can choose to continue staying in a situation where they feel stuck or they can choose something different. And if they are going to choose to stay, they can choose to reframe, right? In this instant, I'm not getting what I want, but here are the benefits of staying. And that's why I choose to stay. So I really encourage people to think about where they have choice and to work on shifting their mindset to see where the gift and opportunity might be for them in staying, even if it sometimes feels like they're not making the progress that they want. Stephanie, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. Where can our community members find you? Thanks, Elena. Yes, happy to share. Well, the space where I've been really energized to write and create recently is LinkedIn. So if people are interested in more leadership tips, please follow along at LinkedIn. And then you can also find more about the work that we do at Christel by visiting the Christel website, which is www.christel.com. Thank you so much, Stephanie. We are so grateful for your time and we look forward to our next podcast. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Elena. It was a pleasure being here with you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Perspectives by Women in Securities Finance. And a big thank you to our featured speakers from this episode. And of course, all the active Women in Securities Finance members that are driving real change in our marketplace today. If you have ideas for future episodes or would like to get involved, please visit our website or you can contact Women in Securities Finance via LinkedIn. And to make sure you don't miss an episode, you can subscribe to this series wherever you get your podcasts. And now for our disclaimer. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the presenters and do not reflect the views or opinions of their respective employer organizations. This material is for your private information and does not constitute legal, tax, or investment advice. There is no representation or warranty as to the current accuracy of nor liability for decisions based on such information. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day.